the common theme is the theme of taqwa. And this is the essential lesson in this, that to the extent there will be taqwa adopted by both parties, to that extent there will be this harmony and peace. Then the second ayat that is recited in the khutbah of nikah, Allah Ta'ala says, Ya ayyuhal ladheena amanu attaqullaha haqqa tuqatih. The second ayat that is recited in the khutbah of nikah, the second verse Allah Ta'ala states, Ya ayyuhal nasu attaqu rabbakum alladhi khalaqakum min nafsi wahida. O mankind, O people of the world, fear your sustainer, ittaqu rabbakum who created you from a single soul, from a single life. وَخَلَقَ مِنْهَا زَوْجَهَا And from this life form he created a partner. وَبَسَّ مِنْهُمَا رِجَالًا كَثِيرًا وَنِسَاءً And from this pair, that is Hazrat Adam alayhi salam and Hazrat Hawa alayhi salam, we created innumerable men and women. In the discussion of this has explained some other aspects in terms of that Allah Ta'ala alone is a sustainer. We're just summarizing a lot of points that I hear. Allah Ta'ala alone is a sustainer. Many people resort to various things, family planning and so on, on the basis of that how they're going to support the child. This intention is very, very wrong. Allah alone is the provider. Allah alone is the sustainer to resort to any such thing because of such a concern. This goes against all the aspects that Allah Ta'ala has commanded us in terms of having tawakkul and trust in Him alone, that He alone is the sustainer and nourisher. So this reason is totally baseless and should never ever feature in the life of a mu'min. This was something that was happening in the time of Jahiliyyah. People used to even bury the children alive out of concern and fear that how this child is going to be supported. So this should never be an intention that ever should apply in a person's mind. Thereafter, continuing with the topic itself, Allah Ta'ala further states, وَاتَّقُوا اللَّهَ الَّذِي تَسَاءَلُونَ بِهِ وَالْأَرْحَامِ And O people, fear that Allah by whose name you demand your mutual rights. Now this is a situation where two people have to live their life together. And in that, obviously, Allah Ta'ala has conferred rights for both parties. In any relationship, both parties will have a right in an employment, the employer has his rights, the employee has his rights, all have rights. So likewise, Allah Ta'ala is reminding us, وَاتَّقُوا اللَّهَ الَّذِي تَسَاءَلُونَ بِهِ وَالْأَرْحَامِ And O people, fear that Allah, in whose name you demand your mutual rights. In other words, what is being explained further, that it is in the name of Allah Ta'ala that you use as an intermediary, as a means, as a lever to accrue the rights due to you. For example, what does one say when a customer fails to pay for goods provided on credit? One tends to plead in Allah's name, saying, Please, for Allah's sake, in the name of Allah, I ask you to fulfill the debt you owe me. Fear Allah and give me my money. So now this is what Allah Ta'ala is saying, that when it comes to your rights, when it comes to what you are demanding, then you invoke the name of Allah Ta'ala. Then you say, Please, in the name of Allah Ta'ala, grant it to me. 
and you ask for your rights in the name of Allah Ta'ala. So now fear Allah Ta'ala also in fulfilling the rights of others. When it comes to your rights, then now you bring Allah Ta'ala's name in the picture. But when it comes to fulfilling others, you just ignore it. This aspect of rights, every human being has rights. If it's the parents, obviously the parents have very great rights. And children also have their rights. The husband has rights, the wife has rights, everybody has rights. But the way in which Deen has presented these rights is by reminding each person about the responsibility that he has to fulfill. The responsibility on the child about the parents. وَقَضَى رَبُّكَ أَلَّا تَعْبُدُوا إِلَّا إِيَّاهُ وَبِالْوَالِدَيْنِ إِحْسَانًا إِمَّا يَبْلُغَنَّ عِنْدَكَ الْكِبَرَ أَحَدُهُمَا أَوْ كِلَاهُمَا فَلَا تَقُلْ لَهُمَا أُفْ وَلَا تَنْهَرْهُمَا وَقُلْ لَهُمَا قَوْلًا كَرِيمًا Now, what is being explained here? What is being explained is the rights of the parents. But who is being addressed? The parents are not being addressed. That look, these are your rights, and therefore make sure that your children fulfill these rights. No, the children are being addressed. وَقَضَى رَبُّكَ أَلَّا تَعْبُدُوا إِلَّا إِيَّا Allah Ta'ala has decreed you should not worship anyone but Him and that you should be kind to your parents. And if they reach old age, then all the things that sometimes now they become irritable, whatever other things. But then despite all that, despite all that, فَلَا تَقُلْ لَهُمَا أُفْ Don't even say uff to them. Don't rebuke them. Speak to them kindly. Keep making dua for them. Now all these are rights of the parents. Who's being addressed? The children are being addressed. So likewise, in many many instances, you'll find that the, the mizaj and the temperament of Sharia is to remind us of our responsibilities. If every person fulfills his responsibilities, every other person's rights will be fulfilled. But the Western concept is different. The Western concept is everybody is taught to demand their rights. So when everybody is demanding rights, each one is worried about, did I get mine? Now when each one is demanding rights, so somewhere something gets left out, now there's a major problem. And the person is not concerned much about fulfilling his responsibilities. He's more worried about demanding his rights. This is the way that Dean has taught us that we be more worried about fulfilling our responsibilities. Allah Ta'ala, this juncture is telling us to fulfill the rights of family and relatives by remembering the name of Allah who we present for demanding our own rights. Fear the non-fulfillment, the usurpation and destruction of their rights. Ensure that you do not fall short in observing the due rights of the wife and children and of blood relatives. In this ayat, Allah Ta'ala, the end of this verse that we just recited, Allah Ta'ala says, وَاتَّقُوا اللَّهَ الَّذِي تَسَاءَلُونَ بِهِ وَالْأَرْحَامِ Now this word, والأرحام, this is the word which is now being explained, that what is meant by والأرحام? Most people understand the connotation of arham to mean only one's parents, brothers and sisters, paternal and maternal grandparents, etc., in other words, one's own immediate family. So most people understand it 
only to mean this, excluding the wife's immediate family. This is why I am saying, this is why I am resorting to an explanation of this verse, which has been given by Allama Alusi As-Sayyid Mahmud Baghdadi in his commentary, Ruhul Ma'ani. I am also quoting the Arabic text so that the learned scholars can also appreciate and enjoy it. What is meant by Arham? Al-Muradu bil-Arhami Al-Aqribau min jihatin nasab wa min jihatin nisa Al-Muradu bil-Arham Al-Aqribau min jihatin nasab wa min jihatin nisa That is the Quran Sharif Allah Ta'ala is saying and Wal-Arham and your relatives So by blood relatives are those this I meant those who are directly related to one as well as those who are related through marriage. So in other words, both ends of the family are included in this wal-arham. Allah Ta'ala is saying, see Allah Ta'ala in whose name you ask your rights from one another and see Allah Ta'ala regarding your relatives, your blood relatives. And this blood relatives refers to nasab, those who are directly related to you through lineage or through uh, direct family relationship or through your wife, through marriage. Among them are the mother and father-in-law, who are the mother and father of the wife who are termed as the mother-in-law and father-in-law as well as her brothers and brother-in-law. So this is the meaning of this arham. Therefore, thus the term blood relatives refers not only to one's own, but also to the wife's immediate family. If perchance they happen to be in a crisis, they go hungry, while one fills his stomach, one will surely be questioned about it on the day of Qiyamah. Given the means, one will, by serving one's poor in-laws, receive the same reward as serving one's own parents. People are well aware of and readily fulfill parents' rights and serve them with respect and honor. Remember, honoring the in-laws is just as meritorious as honoring one's own parents. This is also often, in many instances, an issue that where one is just simple common sense. Many a times there's some problem between spouses. So as a result, what happens? Now, due to the lack of akhlaq and then not even just adopting good akhlaq but going beyond the bounds in so many ways, what a person does? So now he starts picking on the faults of his in-laws. Your father is like this and your mother is like this. In the light of this ayat of the Qur'an Sharif and the explanation of this tafsir, it is like a person now saying things of this nature to his own parents. Like if he gets upset about something, so now he starts talking about his own father. My father is like this and my mother is like this, negatively speaking. Would anybody in his right frame of mind ever do such a thing? Many a times, this leads to great amount of problems and difficulties that if there's a problem with somebody, what is the need to bring somebody's parents in the picture? Whatever the problem might be. 
And if supposing there is an issue with, somebody has an issue with his in-laws, whatever the case might be, he should treat that situation in the same manner as if he had an issue with his own parents. Unfortunately, these things happen. Sometimes somebody oversteps a mark. These things happen, unfortunately. But how would a person then handle the issue if it was his own parents? Now, again, that question is a little unclear or it's not the, probably the right question to ask. That How would a person handle it? How should he handle it? Because unfortunately, people do handle it in all the wrong ways. Even with their own parents, the manner of handling the issue correctly is unfortunately very rare. Illa mashallah. Otherwise, by and large, you end up overstepping the mark some way or the other. One aspect is what is right and wrong. For example, somebody did something which is wrong. For example, a parent said something which was wrong. So something wrong is wrong. Said something hurtful, said something baseless, which had no real basis for saying it, and made a kind of accusation, for example. Happens, unfortunately, these things are happening everywhere. Because of the lack of akhlaq with which we are growing up, then we becoming parents, and that's how we conducting ourselves, and that's how that is going on. So now, just an example. So that false accusation, or that maybe some parent even used some vulgarity on the child, it's wrong, 100% wrong. But now in terms of the response, does the parent's wrong give the license to the child to do something wrong also? No. The ayat of the Quran Sharif that we just discussed now, وَلَا تَقُلْ لَهُمَا أُفِّوا وَلَا تَنْهَرْهُمَا Don't even say uff to them. That is not only applicable when they are right. That is applicable even when they are wrong. That doesn't mean we will condone the wrong. This is a man, this is referring to the response, how we will go about responding. It's not that if something wrong was said, then we will go along with the wrong. This is about how do we go about responding to that. In responding to that, we still can't say oof. Because if we say oof, we've crossed the line. We've crossed our line. They had crossed their line already. If we say oof, we've crossed our line. Now each person is going to face Allah Ta'ala, he's going to have to answer for his deeds. And if somebody did one wrong, on the day of Qiyamah, we won't be absolved for the wrong that we did because it was in response to somebody else's wrong. That for example, we also said something vulgar. He said, but why you said this? He said, because somebody else said something vulgar, so I also said something vulgar. So, the issue is that we have to be concerned about what our line is. How we are responding. What we are doing. Yes, what is wrong, we won't be part of the wrong. For example, a parent is insisting on the child to do something which is impermissible. For example, to now be attending some mixed gathering. Now, there's a wedding, there's some occasion and it's going to be a mixed gathering. It's all up front understood and known that this is what's going to be taking place and now the parent insisting, no, you must be there. The person is saying, look, I can't be there. It's not correct. So he says, no, you have to be there. And as a result now, becoming very upset and maybe even reprimanding and saying things, and sometimes saying some very hurtful things. 
These are common issues, unfortunately. So, the respect of the parents demands that in the face of all this, whatever is being said, he still will not say oof. He cannot say oof. But this doesn't mean that he will attend that function which is impermissible. He won't attend it. He'll respectfully keep himself away. But then if he has to bear the brunt of further reprimand and criticism, he'll quietly take it. Many a times, it's just a matter of how we channel our thinking at that time. Whether it is with parents, whether it is with spouses, whether it is with others, it's all a matter of how a person channels his thinking at that time that can make something very complicated, very easy to handle, can make something very, very painful, very easy to bear, can make something very bitter, very easily digestible. It's just a matter of how he focuses his mind at that time. For example, now he is being subjected to all kinds of hurtful comments, etc. Why? Because he declined to be part of some gathering which is not according to Sharia, it's all mixed, there's going to be some music there, whatever else, so he can't be there obviously. So now he's being subjected to this. So now when he's being subjected to this, at that time he's directing and focusing his mind, all I am having to do is listen to some words. Rasulullah was pelted with stones for haq, to the extent that his body began bleeding profusely. His shoes were filled with blood. These are words coming to me, not even thorns. So, can't I bear this for the sake of Allah Ta'ala? Now, one is to now directly focus on the words that are coming, and the statements that are being made, and the comments that are being hurled at one. And now start thinking, but why was this said to me, and why was that said to me, but I didn't do anything wrong. Indeed, you didn't do anything wrong, but why are you focusing on that? If you focus your mind correctly, that why am I being subjected to this? Because I am trying to please Allah Ta'ala. My very feeble way, I am nowhere close to the reality, but I am trying. Allah Ta'ala's command is that this should not be done, so I want to stay away from it. So my very feeble, very weak, broken effort here is to try and please Allah Ta'ala. So because I am trying to please Allah Ta'ala, I am being subjected to this. I am being subjected to this for that reason, so then I should just take it in my side. I should focus on what the Sahaba went through because of deen, because of proclaiming the truth, what they were subjected to. If I get subjected to something like this, it's very small, it's nothing. When a person will focus his mind correctly, then that bitterness will go out of that. He won't be now choking over those words that somebody else said to him. And in fact, if a person really, truly, deeply from his heart manages to focus correctly in this manner, let alone that pain, he'll start getting a kind of pleasure in it. What kind of pleasure? How can there be pleasure in this? Somebody is hurling all kinds of abusive comments at him. That he will start finding some pleasure in not that he is hearing something abusive. Because again his mind will be somewhere else. That who am I and what am I? I haven't even managed to emulate Rasulullah even to one fraction. 
But this is a rare ikhtiyari emulation and being allowed to undertake. This is something involuntary. That somebody is subjecting me to abuse because I am trying to please Allah Ta'ala. This is a very, very minute emulation of what happened to Rasulullah Sallallahu So how great this gift of Allah Ta'ala is on me, that Allah Ta'ala is enabling me to bear this. Now, when a person will truly focus on this very deeply, forgets that pain, he'll start actually feeling the pleasure, not on what he heard, but on this, that Allah Ta'ala put him in that situation, not that he should ask for situations like this. He should never deliberately ask for a situation that will put him into some kind of difficulty. But when it comes, and he truly focuses in this way, then there'll be a different feeling. Then he'll be able to digest it very easily. Allah Ta'ala give us the topic, it's already past time, inshallah we'll continue. Subhanallah.